0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Good morning. This is Dave Debo. We are talking for much of the program this morning, at least the next hour, uh, about that Nunes memo compiled by members of the House Intelligence Committee, basically looking at some classified information or what was at the time classified information, since declassified, since released publicly. It basically alleges in a lot of different ways that the basis for a surveillance warrant of Carter Page, a Trump campaign aide, was based on this dossier that was put together by Christopher Steele with funding from the Democratic National Committee. The memo goes on to basically allege that because of that, because it leaned on something related to the Democrats, that it becomes a a strictly political prosecution, and therefore Robert Mueller and the whole uh, surveillance uh, issue – uh has a lot less credibility. We're going to talk a little bit about that this next hour. In just a moment, we'll bring in Michael Caputo, a former Trump staffer. Of course, you know him as also a contributor here on WBEN, a guy who uh, has worked on the Trump campaign and also worked on other uh, political uh, things, including working in Russia. So he's someone that's connected to this in some ways that gives him insight that we just don't have. So the, so that's why we've got him coming up. I do want to set the stage, though, with something that came out from CBS this morning. This is uh, off their Face the Nation program. Representative Trey Gowdy, uh, one of the four authors of that memo, said on Face the Nation this morning that he believes a surveillance warrant for the former Trump campaign advisor, Carter Page, would not have been authorized without the existence of that controversial steel document. Gowdy went on to say the public will never know if the surveillance against Page was justified, saying that the warrants relied on three pieces of information, the dossier, a Yahoo News article, and some other information about there uh, that, that was sent to the judges who approved the warrants. But now this is the interesting part. Gowdy, the only Republican on the House Intelligence Committee, has seen the actual memo. Nunes has not. The FISA warrant applications, Nunes hasn't seen them. Gowdy emphasized that the memo does not discredit Robert Mueller's investigation not to me it doesn't. I was pretty involved in drafting the memo, he says there is a Russia investigation without a dossier. That seems like a good point to bring you in Michael Hi, good morning. Thanks for joining us.
2: Hey, Dave, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. L- let's talk about this dossier oh, th- this memo. Uh, do you agree with Kurt uh, excuse me, Trey Gowdy, do you agree with Trey Gowdy in saying that uh, even without this dossier, there would still be an investigation?
2: I I suspect there would be. The the problem we have with this investigation, uh, the House, the Senate investigations, and even the Mueller investigation, is 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 that it's a feeding frenzy. And the Democrats who have spun up the bogus investigation to begin with understand that. And that's the game you play in politics. That's the game you play in Washington. When you go after a president, you go after him from every angle, and you create as much uh, of a storyline as you can and. And, and in this regard, even though there probably would be an investigation still ongoing, we might not have six of them going on. We might not have a special prosecutor. And so, uh, the idea that this part of the whole noise-making machine coming out of the Democratic Party, you know, this part, you know, making, you know, uh, producing a dossier with political, uh, partisan, uh, research and then selling it back to the media and to the and to the national security apparatus as intelligence is the first of many lies that were told here and now with this memo we understand that uh there are several different people in the obama national security app or i'm sorry uh, department of justice and the fbi um, that were signing warrants uh, a request for a fisa warrant based upon a dossier and they were not telling the judge that it was paid for by hillary clinton
1: but if, if, if Trey Gowdy is correct and says that the investigation would go on ahead, even without that dossier, okay, we discount that dossier. We label that dossier as a political document. There is still enough meat there to uh, to make uh, the prosecutors salivate, no?
2: Right. But without this dossier, there'd be no Carter Page likely. I mean, certainly, Carter Page's volume in the news media, in which, let's face it, that's what the Democrats care about, it wouldn't not be at 10, it would be at 2, Right. And, and I'm also going to stand with Gowdy on the fact that I don't think this touches Mueller very much. If you look at this memo, all the people who, you know, this FISA warrant process and the people that were involved in it, Sally Yates was involved in it, not just McCabe and not just Comey, but Comey was the principal author of these FISA warrants. Uh, I mean, at least the more the most often author of these FISA warrants, uh, the FISA warrant application and all, and all of its requests for extension. You know, these people pre dated uh, Mueller, He may know all of them, and they may have wanted him to come in on a white horse and protect them, but he didn't. He doesn't look like he really had a lot to do with this.
1: All right. Now, you also mentioned the FISA warrant extensions. I know that they were renewed at least twice. Uh, if if the initial um, information that was used to gather the warrant was tainted, I'll be at this memo here. What about the renewals? Can we say there was enough there to continue to pursue it, even, again, without the dossier?
2: It's not quite clear to me what the timeline is here yet, but you have to we all under, need to understand that the underlying uh intelligence or I'm sorry, political campaign research that was passed off as intelligence uh, came from uh, uh Christopher Steele uh who at the time uh leading up to the FISA warrant was in fact consulting the FBI on things. and, in, and right around the time of the FISA warrant application They decided because of some things that he had done and said that he was no longer a credible source for their information. However, they still went forward with the FISA warrant application and its extensions. And somewhere in that process, they most certainly knew between themselves that they had just uh, 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 thrown away, you know, thrown Christopher Steele away as a a source and and disparaged him among themselves. And yet his work still stood as part of the basis of a FISA warrant. And they didn't tell the judge that either. You know, I think this needs to be um, uh, uh, fully investigated. It needs to be prosecuted if someone committed crimes, And if they did, they need to get locked up.
1: All right. is the number. Michael, you mentioned that uh, the investigations, plural, continue. We want to talk about that in just a little bit, and especially your involvement with one of them. But uh, the phone calls are already starting to light up. We have a newscast at the bottom. We'll try to squeeze in a call between now and then. And kicking it off for us, here is Tony and Clarence. Hey, Tony. Thanks for uh, joining us. Hi.
0: Good morning. And first of all, the entire uh, start of this investigation of, of uh, Carter Page started in 2013, long before President Trump even knew he was going to run. He was, it was a FISA warrant out for him because he was being recruited by the Russians. Carter Page gave away energy secrets to the Soviet Union. That's part of what he did. The entire issue of the other FISA warrants that were done in October had nothing to do with the, uh, uh, the dossier by Steele. They were all based upon Papadopoulos talking to an Australian diplomat in a cafe in uh, the March of 2017, in which he said that there was a connection, that he informed the FBI that there was a connection uh, between some of the people involved in the Trump campaign and the Russians. No question that that was the basis. And in fact, if you read the dossier, it says in the line, that it was Papadopoulos meeting with that Australian diplomat that did this. The dossier, uh, let's go to to Mr. Steele. Mr. Steele, for the last 15 or 20 years, has collaborated with the FBI because he was in charge of British intelligence in the Russian province. All
1: right, pull it forward into a question for me, Tony, so we can get uh, Michael to, to respond. Thank you. I didn't hear a question there, Michael, but I'm sure he said enough for you to uh, react to. Go ahead.
2: I get what Tony's getting to here. And and uh, Tony's not all wrong here on this stuff. I mean, uh, the fact is Carter Page had been looked into uh, because they, the FBI thought he was being recruited to work for the uh, Russian intelligence services. And, and he actually, back in 2013, and he actually, uh, 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 you know, cooperated that investigation and, and it got somebody arrested from the Russian side. So, I the caller is correct about that, and in fact, what Tony said begs the question, how did he make it, how was he vetted to become an advisor on a presidential campaign? That's a question nobody's asked, right? I mean, uh, it speaks to the how fast they were trying to recruit these advisors on the Trump campaign, so much so that they didn't even ask the FBI uh, if there was a, a problem with any of them. So that's a good good point, but at the same time, however... The fact of the matter is, the dossier is in every single, in every application, and and for extent, the initial application, and all applications for extension, on this FISA warrant that we're talking about, the FISA warrant. Going after Carter Page—that's a fact.
1: And w- let's say we remove—and an, th- this, I think, is a question I have to ask now—and we'll get the answer after the news break because there is that uh, train situation in Carolina that makes them need to uh, be completely thoroughly on time. When we come back, Michael, tell me what happens. You remove the dossier from the investigation. Is—is is the uh, does the house of cards then collapse? More ahead. It's hardline on News Radio nine thirty WBN. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. This is Dave Debo. We are talking about that memo, the Nunes memo, as it's called, from the House Intelligence Committee Republicans, looking at some of the intelligence that was used to justify the FISA warrant to surveil campaign operative Carter Page. The basic conclusion of the memo is that so much in there was based on a dossier that was connected, they say, to the DNC. We're talking about it with Michael Caputo, a former campaign staffer for Trump, certainly someone who is got a lot of background in, in the way the Trump campaign ran and uh, certainly has an interest in defending them. But he's also got uh, some background in Russia. In the way elections work there, he has served over there with some of the elections uh, in the past, and I figured that makes him uh, an eminently qualified guy to talk a little bit about this. Michael, let's, let's say the memo is everything that it appears to be. Let's say we remove the steel dossier out of there because it was tainted, tree of the poison fruit, uh, and, and, and basically you take away the dossier. How much of the current investigations that go on Still stand even without that dossier in the equation. In the equation, if this memo discredits that enough, does does the rest of it fall apart? I don't think so. Uh,
2: I think the credibility of the investigation is is hurt. But more importantly, I think uh, we need to use the information from this memo and the perversion of the FISA uh, warrant process to correct the problem. Because you know there are a lot of people out there. I'm one of them. Who's kind of uncomfortable with the powers that. The government gains under FISA. I mean, I could explain it for days on the air, but...
1: FISA is basically a secret court set up after 9-11 that allows domestic intelligence surveillance of terrorists uh, with overseas connections. Uh, It's a secret court. It allows the FBI to do something it wouldn't otherwise be able to do, which is surveil in the United States. Am I right?
2: That's right. And and this is designed for terrorism, but yet it was used on, on Trump. And and, uh, and I think, you know, really at the end of this, we, we need to understand that when they, when your name is submitted on a warrant and they come after you, they're not, they're not just able to listen to everything and read every email that you're sending from here forward. They're able to go back into the database of the National Security Agency and pull up every email and every phone call you've ever had.
1: All right. Now, I want to uh, talk a little bit more about the Steele dossier. He was an intelligence operative at one point in Britain with MI6. And uh, the Wall Street Journal had an interesting piece uh, yesterday written by Daniel Hoffman, a former CIA operative. The headline, The Steel Dossier Fits the Kremlin Playbook. The likely objective, he says, was to uh, undermine both Republicans and Democrats and even American democracy. Is there, to your mind, a logical uh, uh, train of thought that says the Kremlin is behind this part of it? Not collusion, but certainly meddling.
2: Well, no doubt that the Kremlin is, has a hand in the steel There's no, no doubt. I mean, uh, the G- Fusion GPS hired a British spy who had said many times and has been proven to be, you know, that he, he thought it was his sworn life duty to stop Donald Trump from being president. He was a huge uh, critic of Donald Trump. And he went uh, back to his old ca- uh, contacts in the KGB. We assume retired KGB, we don't know. And he got information. Now, I, you know, having lived in Russia for seven years and encountered as many uh, KGB in my life as I have FBI, CIA, I can tell you that there's no such thing as a retired KGB general. And, in fact, the general that was allegedly killed because of this dossier research uh, was someone who who was freelancing as a a private intelligence agent just like Steele was. So this thing is all intelligence. And I'll tell you what. Uh, the, the Nothing a former KGB officer does is not guided by what the Kremlin wants.
1: All right, let's uh, throw in some calls here again. eight hundred three oh nine thirty. Bob in Buffalo, you're on the air with Michael Caputo. Hi.
3: Good morning, gentlemen. Um, I'm very uncomfortable with my politicians, especially in Washington, both sides of the aisle. So, uh, Michael, I just have a couple of quick questions, and I'll take your answer off there. Is collusion a crime? Are they investigating a non-crime Are they now looking for process crimes so that they can uh, indict and impeach? And what can you tell me about the Podesta brothers?
2: And I'll hang up and listen.
1: All right. Uh, The first one's very interesting. Is collusion a crime? I I would think it's treasonous, if not actually illegal.
2: No, collusion is not a crime, in fact, um, by the pure definition of 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 the term. However, if you were colluding to commit a crime, if you're colluding to, for example, in this allegation, to subvert, you know... The national security interests of the United States—that would be a crime, that subversion, not the collusion. So, collusion, as the caller said, appears to be. While it's an easy word for the media to say, uh, and it has, it was used in the in the in the instructions to the special counsel. Um, it's really not what we're looking for here. However, um, because there's no way, there's no crime to it. However, in the process of of investigating collusion. Uh, what typically happens is people m- m- mess up and-, and lie to the FBI in an interview or lie to a- uh, to the Justice Department, and they're, you know, like Martha Stewart.
1: I knew you were going to go there. I was headed that way, too, absolutely. right. Lying to the uh, grand jury is what she was ultimately convicted of rather than the initial insider trading charge. Let me put this one out there, though, Michael. Uh, if collusion technically isn't illegal, do you think it would be right? And I'm not saying he did it because I know where you stand on that. Do you think it would be right for President Trump's campaign to work with the Russians to keep Hillary Clinton from winning? Uh, if, if if it's not strictly illegal, is it at least wrong?
2: Yeah. If if I was at the uh, campaign when these calls, or if I was the one who had taken these calls or had opportunities for these meetings, I would have insisted that it be reported to the FBI. But that's, I mean, I was probably one of the most experienced campaign people in in Trump Tower at the time I was there. That's not to degrade the people. Uh, who won the election for Donald Trump? That's just to say that
1: yeah, he went with outsiders. He went with people that might not have that depth,
2: right? And and they they have no experience with the KGB, no experience with spying. And you know, those of us who have been around a little longer have have encountered this stuff before. But the caller had a very interesting question about who are the Podesta brothers. Uh, I can answer that very quickly. John Podesta is an advisor to to, uh, to Obama and the Clinton, a very high level person who is his tentacles in all kinds of areas of government. We've got them on both sides, the right and the left, the Republicans and Democrats. John is extremely influential. He's also the guy who got his email hacked because he answered a a question from a phishing email, like something a a high schooler would do.
1: Right. He was also a former uh, chief of staff, I believe, for President Clinton as well.
2: Right. Right. And and I'll tell you, uh, uh, Tony Podesta, who came to Washington at the same time, they were inseparable brothers, by the way. And and uh, they've both been there for decades. Uh Instead of going into government like his brother did, opened a lobbying shop. And in fact, Tony Podesta and John Podesta would would uh, work a lot together. And some say that John Podesta is a shareholder in Tony's lobbying shop. Tony worked with anyone, like most lobbying shops do, like Paul Manafort did. He worked for both sides and worked for countries and. And, and leaders all around the world.
1: And make it relevant for me, why did Bob ask the initial question? So what, the Podesta brothers are involved.
2: Tony Podesta worked, for, worked with Paul Manafort uh, on the, uh, the, the political contract in Ukraine. And he also was involved in Uranium One. And he also was lobbying for one of the largest banks in Russia that's on the sanctions list. And, he was, and, I, and I can go down. He was a registered lobbyist as were several different people at his firm, for Russia or Russian interests, as well as, by my count, about 25 other Democrats connected to Clinton and Obama.
1: So if there is a Russian connection, you point to Podesta and say, it's to the Clinton side, not the Trump side.
2: I think both sides. Russia was working with, I worked for Russia for a long time, in Russia, for a long time. Russia is, you know, it's not a, 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 a rogue state like North Korea. It's, it's on, you know, the National Security Council of the United Nations. People who work in politics in the United States, UK, Germany, represent Russia and their home nations as lobbyists. When a president of the United States is Democrat, the Democrats get all the contracts. And when, that, when it switches over to Republicans, they lose their jobs, and those nations hire Republican lobbyists. It's perfectly legal, but, you know, unless you're doing something like colluding to uh, to subvert the national interests of the United States.
1: Frank in Williamsville, you're up now. Thanks for waiting. Hi.
2: Hello. Is there somewhere I can get crib notes on this scandal? I mean, I grew up in the 70s, and the Watergate thing, which Hannity has compared this to uh, uh, all during his shows last week before it became public, uh, was so easy to follow. It was just like um, Nixon's people bugged the Watergate hotels where the head of the Democratic National Committee was. Just, and this thing is like there's so many characters and it's so convoluted. You got Russia, you got uh, uh, Trump's children meeting with Russia, you got MI5 and all these other people.
1: I would think the best uh, crib note would be read the memo. Take it maybe with a grain of salt, listen to what the Democrats eventually have to say about it, but read that memo and lays it all out in a way that you can at least understand what's being alleged. Would you agree, Michael?
2: I I do, but I'll tell you, the caller is right. There are are layers upon layers upon layers to this story and how this came together— and one thing that stands uh, above all to me, I mean, you know, you, you look at all these layers. This this memo only really touches on about 20 percent of it, you know. And then it, it all goes back to this at the day after the election, the the Hillary Clinton campaign, little senior leaders met and decided that Russian collusion was the issue they were going to go forward on full bore. And they have hundreds of millions of dollars to do it. And they have executed it perfectly they're probably the best in the business
1: all right john in rochester quickly let's uh move through the calls here you're up now
2: hey Dave. hey
3: michael uh i gotta tell you the thing that gets lost in this whole thing is like the, the podesta issue where's the media coverage on this the media is so out of control to the left it's unbelievable that really ticks me off but i heard uh michael carter page i heard through uh I think it was Glenn Glenn Beck quote, and I read it in a newspaper called Carter Page, sort of a stumbling, bumbling uh, diplomat. Uh, what are your thoughts on Carter Page? And the other thing I want to mention too is, what about Obama's interference in Israel, the Israeli elections, and the Canadian elections recently? It's it's unbelievable.
1: I think we can say that all governments do to some degree, uh, at least the United States under Obama meddle in elections. Um, however, I think it's also fair to say this is different because you have a campaign working with the federal government instead of a, a government working with the campaign. Do you see? Do you see the different sides of the fence I'm trying to drive there, John? Let's uh, let's get the answer to your other question too, though. Uh, Michael, jump on in here.
2: First off, first off I, I well, just as an aside, I was sent to Russia in 1994 by the Clinton administration to meddle in their elections. I stayed seven years, so. I mean, it goes on all over the world. But, you know, and it was very similar to what Obama did with Israel. Now, uh, Carter Page, I'll tell you, real quick, I never met the guy. I never saw him in Trump Tower. My understanding is that whole uh, uh, campaign advisory committee that he was on, including George Papadopoulos, met a total of twice, uh, one time with the president, and it's been a headache ever since. They were recruited, uh, God knows how, but mostly from LinkedIn, from what I understand. And Carter Page was, in fact, I mean, Papadopoulos knows nothing about Russia. He really, I don't think he even spent any time there.
1: You're the one that has called Papadopoulos a coffee boy. Uh, is Carter Page more skilled? got more background, less of an intern? He
2: was uh, He was in a private equity group in, in Moscow. I met a lot of these guys back then. I didn't know him, but, you know, he he knew people in Russia. He, he got, had a lot of knowledge of Russia. He made some money there in the oil and gas sector. And my opinion of the guy is, you know, look, when he first came out and he looked to be fumbling his way through media interviews, I was aghast. I couldn't believe this guy. I, I, I made fun of him a lot, in fact, uh, because he just seemed to be a hapless character, like the caller said. But I'll tell you what. Now that I've watched what's happened to this guy, and he, by the way, doesn't have any money. He's, 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 he's uh, fired all his attorneys. He's going to these hearings by himself now. He's thrown himself on the mercy of the Constitution of the United States. And I don't know him. Maybe he wouldn't be the kind of guy to go have a beer with. But it doesn't seem to me like he did anything wrong. In fact, he's helped the government put away a Russian spy in the past.
1: All right, Michael, you've talked about the investigations. When we come back, we'll look at your involvement there. And there's a new development to talk about. We'll hit that when we return and try to squeeze in the final phone calls, too, with Michael Caputo. Next, it's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. This is Dave Debo. Michael Caputo is with us, and with the amount of calls that are coming in, he's graciously agreed to stick over just a couple minutes after the newscast. If you're on hold, stay there. And then after that, after 11 o'clock, we'll bring in Tony Bruce, a former federal prosecutor from West New York, but someone who has also worked on national security issues and has some interesting insight into this Nunes memo. We're talking about the memo from the House Intelligence Committee that basically says some of the information that was used to get surveillance on the Trump campaign was based on a political document that had its origins deep in the Democratic National Committee. Mm -hmm. Michael, we've been talking a lot, too, about Russia and how they are involved, the kind of things they do. You've shared stories about uh, your involvement in Russia, working on elections. That brings us a little bit to some breaking news that I'd like to get to. Back in July, you testified before the House Intelligence Committee. About Russian meddling, or, or their their inquiries rather about Russian meddling. Uh, obviously, you didn't say there was any meddling, uh, and now it turns out you're going back for more testimony. Tell us about that. Give us the latest news in that regard.
2: Yeah, it's a real thrill for me to give the same information to the House of Representatives and the Senate over and over and over and over again. Same information each time, uh, and it, you know it's pricey. I got to take. Uh, you know, pretty high-priced attorneys with me every time. So this cost is going to cost our family a tremendous, tremendous amount of money. We don't even know how much. It's uh, it's probably more than I make, no doubt.
1: You are being called back again to the House Intelligence Committee? When?
2: No, the House the House is, uh, has moved on. Uh, my testimony, which I was asking to be made public, was never made public. And uh, it seemed to me that the Senate, which was in uh, talks with my attorney, um, Dennis Vaco, about bringing me in. They kind of chilled off for a little while, and it seemed to be going in another direction. But after the first of the year, suddenly we were contacted by the Senate Intelligence and Judiciary Committees, um, inviting me to a combination of about three interviews, which are all, you know, pricey, and uh, they're asking me the same questions that the House did. There's no way. These guys don't never they never share, share information between each other, and they have no... No uh, problem uh, inviting somebody in to testify to them to repeat whatever they've said to other committees.
1: And the House Intelligence and the Senate Intelligence Committee, by virtue of intelligence in their name, automatically, you would think, could be closed. Is there any chance that the Judiciary Committee will be open in public testimony?
2: Uh, we're, I, we're not that far along yet. I'm asking for open uh, hearings in both, um, and I, we'll see what happens. The fact of the matter is, uh, on the judiciary side, I was uh, contacted and invited, not subpoenaed, uh, uh, but invited. All these things are invitations. You know, I want to make sure that where I'm needed, I'm, I'm available. But her invitation it came from her as the minority leader of the Senate Judiciary Committee. I mean, the majority didn't even participate in her invitation. And I was one of, them, I think, nine or ten people invited. So it's not even clear how compulsory it really is if the, if the majority hasn't participated.
1: Is there a timeline? When might you be there again doing this?
2: Well, it looks like it'll be the month of February. And it seems to me that even though it's, you know, uh, Dianne Feinstein is not the minority leader of the, uh, of the Judiciary Committee, I think, I think she's, I mean, I, I've met her, I know her, you know, and uh, I think she's trying to move forward resolutely. And I think everybody on her list, all nine or ten people, were told that uh, they they want to get us in in the month of February. Now, the House uh, Senate Intelligence, I'm not quite sure yet.
1: All right. Now, the fact that these three have asked you back, does that tell you anything about the status of each of their investigations?
2: Well, it's interesting because when I, when I went in and sat on the House uh, Permanent Select Committee of Intelligence, it, it was really a weird uh, day for me. I mean... If you understand that that whole situation, you you go into what they call the skiff in in a secret top secret area of the House of Representatives, and uh, behind uh, inside of the door that's like a walk-in freezer because they're blocking all signals. And you spent I spent four hours in there, and it was clear to me from the tenor of the questions and and the, you know the way that they kept asking the same questions over and over that this was really clearly a fishing expedition. But as you know, that's July and it was pretty early in the process and. As a witness, you can understand if they were trying to just fish and find.
1: Michael, you've sat in this chair. You know all about hard breaks. Let's continue this in a moment. It's News Radio 930, WBEN. We'll get his take on the Nunez memo. We're talking about that now, though, with Michael Caputo, former aide to the Trump campaign, local political consultant, someone who back in, uh, what was it, July of this past year, testified before the House Intelligence Committee about their investigation into possible collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign. And Michael, before the break, bit of breaking news, you were just telling us that now the Senate Intelligence Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee have both indirectly, uh, the, the, the Judiciary Committee, at least through its uh, minority group, uh, have asked you back for more testimony, probably by the end of the month. When uh, when we had to break for news, you were saying that jeepers, this is just a fishing expedition, isn't it?
2: It is. I mean, if they're still talking to me, I mean, they, they have a list. My goodness, these these committees in the House and Senate have to be interviewing hundred a hundred hundred maybe two hundred and fifty people. Who knows, right? But they're they're really um, uh... you know if they're interviewing me at this stage in the Senate investigations and the judiciary and in the intelligence, then they really are just fishing because I'm so peripheral to the issues as a witness that it, it, it appears that they still are, are are trying to find the path that they need to take.
1: Before your house testimony in July, you sent them basically a letter outlining your position and saying that you'd be willing. Uh, has there been similar exchange in this one? What have you told them thus far?
2: Sure, sure. I mean, I've had my uh, attorney, Dennis Vaco, here in Buffalo um, uh, in correspondence with them. Dennis is, you know, representing me ably and you know, we're trying to discuss the parameters of document production and things of that sort. And when it come to- comes time for my appearances, uh, he'll negotiate those details as well. Um, and, you know, that's where you need somebody who knows this stuff. Dennis knows this stuff really well. So, you know, even though I'm a witness, it's really important for all the witnesses to come in with qualified uh, uh, lawyers because, you know, you can inadvertently make a mistake and get yourself in a jackpot.
1: All right now, I think we had pretty much known obviously the House Intelligence Committee was investigating a logical assumption that the Senate Intelligence Committee was investigating to what degree is this a new development that judiciary is now involved?
2: Well, and uh, to be honest, both uh, are looking for the same things from me, so I don't know what focuses they're different between them they're focused on me very quite the same' they're, they're interested in my uh, any communications I had with uh, campaign officials about Russia or any communications with russians about the campaign and so on and of course i have none of that but there you know you still need to present hundreds and hundreds of pages of documents because as someone who worked on the campaign in new york and in uh manhattan at trump tower you know there i've got some you know there's a lot of email exchanges on on topics of the day but none of it about russia of course Uh,
1: and you save all those you keep those
2: i do i mean i i i think uh uh, you know i i have a security uh, uh, protocol that i follow with my uh, email communications and uh, when i'm involved in the campaign i keep every one of them uh, because uh, destroying them would be uh, i think uh, would, would invite criticism all right so uh, you know i didn't ever really utilize a donald trump campaign account i had one but i just kept using my own accounts and as because i was just a consultant not a staffer but you know, I'll tell you, it's uh, you know, it's a lot of work to put together these kinds of things. My document production goes into thousands of pages.
1: All right, let's clear out our final phone calls here. Again, talking more specifically about the Nunes memo. Back to the phones. Phil in Amherst, you've holded, been on hold for a while. I appreciate that. You're up now. Hi. Phil, are you there? Going once? All right, let's pop Phil back on hold and see if Frank in Niagara Falls is with us. Good morning, Frank.
3: Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everybody.
1: Amen. Hi. <laughs> it's
3: like a holiday down at the Social Club, but uh, somebody should be calling a technical foul penalty on the uh, GOP establishment. You know, I seem to remember a time of conservatives caught uh, just the appearance of a politician taking secret meetings with paid, Russia, uh, paid agents of Russia. Would have been, they would have ruined the people's lives, blacklisted them, you know, even the firing squad. You know, I'm, I'm taking exception because I'm a progressive and, and all the times the right-wingers called me a commie. You know, funny how things change, right? But uh, what I find really disturbing is there's major legislation coming up in the next few weeks, but I've been switching through the Sunday shows, and our news cycles are dominated by the Nunes memo, Republican soap opera. You know, well, where's the news about how the Trump Pence administration is re- ready to sell off control of our nation's vital infrastructure to private in- interests?
1: I, I think, sir, that we have heard discussion of the infrastructure package to the degree that it exists. Um, I, I don't mean to unload on you, but it really bothers me when people say, why haven't we heard? And then they go on to describe everything they've heard. Well, it's out there or you wouldn't have heard of it. Uh, the, the whole the media is not da 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 fill in the blank um, gets a little tedious with me. Michael, help me out here.
2: Well, also, you know, as we've seen in the last five days, the infrastructure package, we've heard about uh, from the Democrats about all this privatization of the infrastructure and everything, and they're ringing their bells and ringing their hands. And we come to find out that the infrastructure package looks a lot more traditional than that. It looks a lot more like a government program, and and I think that the progressive caller would probably uh, appreciate it a lot more if he looked at it a little closer this week as opposed to the week before. And and additionally, listen, I think it's really important for people to understand something. In the last couple of weeks we've heard about this memo and it's the Republican memo. Republicans trying to disrupt the the uh the the investigations, etc. and we heard people saying these these FBI agents, they're Republicans. They're Republicans. How can they be fighting against Donald Trump? They're Republicans. Listen, let's not forget that Donald Trump was opposed by de- Democrats and Republicans. And it is not beyond the the pale. To imagine that some of those Republicans who were visceral haters of Donald Trump exist within the apparatus of our ever-growing government and that they would still hate him and want to get rid of him and would work with their fellow uh, bureaucrats deeply embedded in the in the administrative state to, to, to do whatever they can to stop him.
1: I want to close on maybe a slightly provocative question. Is it fair that the Republicans have released their memo and yet the Democrats' one is still classified, wouldn't it be better if everything was just poured out on the table? There's the Nunes memo, there's the Democrats. Hey, FBI, what do you know? Uh, we report, you decide kind of thing. Put it all out there and have the public look at everything that's up there and then judge accordingly. Is it unfair that we haven't seen the other side in an official memo because that one's still classified?
2: Well, this I think we should see everything that we that we can, you know, safely see without without revealing national security. I think we should see whatever the Democrats had to say, but we, you know, whatever the Republicans had to say. But we also see that the Democrats, in fighting to keep this Nunez memo from being released, were saying that there were, uh, you know, methods and, and secrets that were going to be revealed, and it was an uh, irresponsible uh, uh, offense against national security. And, of course, there was none of that. You know, and there were also concerns raised by the FBI and the DOJ about the veracity of information in the, in, the, in the memo, and there is none of that. So the idea that the Democrats were wringing their hands and crying about national security so that this memo wouldn't, be, wouldn't come out, turns out what they were claiming was not true. And also, it turns out that they really didn't care if the national security secrets and their memo came out, because they wanted it released without any review. So this, this stuff goes on on both sides. Both sides are playing politics. When reality, all of us out here in flyover country, all we want to see is a fact.
1: All right, Michael, always fun talking with you. I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much for joining us and, and talking not only about the memo, but your upcoming testimony before the Senate Judiciary and the Senate Intelligence Committees. Michael Caputo, former Trump staffer, political consultant based in East Aurora, New York. Occasional contributor, obviously, here.
3: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.